The Lord be with you. And I want to share with you tonight a scripture that some of you might have heard me talk about before. I have been meditating on this scripture uh, and actually all the verses beyond it um, for 60 years now. And so I, I've preached on this <laughs> almost once a year, sometimes once every six months over the years. And every time I've seen something there that I've never seen before. And so if you've heard the text, please don't run away and say, I've heard that before. No, this is as new as the last few hours. And so Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Chapter 15 is what I've been meditating on for 60 years. I believe it's the focal point of the Gospel in all the words that Jesus gave us. And these first words, it says, Now the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Just quickly, that's a setup for the whole chapter. Tax gatherers and sinners, they were the scum of society. Tax gatherers were a sort of legalized mafia. They were authorized by the Roman government. They were, they were Jewish people who had betrayed their own people, gone over to the empire of opposition, oppression, Rome, and now returned to their own people to extract exorbitant taxes. And it was all legal but they were vile scum, richest people in town, and the most hated and despised. And the sinners, they were those that religion determined did not keep the law and therefore were hopelessly outside of God's mercy. And then it says the Pharisees and the scribes, they were the religious fundamentalists who believed that you came close to God by your performance and so judged everyone else by their performance, their performance by everybody else. They were the self-appointed police of society to tell you what you were doing wrong and so on. And so this man receives sinners. They look at Jesus in religious horror. He is receiving sinners, those that are outside of the possibility of God's love. And they said, eats with them, which I've told you before in the Middle East and in every third world country I've been to uh, right up to this day, um, eating was a covenant matter where you entered into a bond of love and solidarity and friendship with the person you were eating with. And so Jesus is sitting with the total outcasts of society and religion, for sure, and in eating with them was making a public statement that he stood in solidarity with the offscar of society. He, he was standing in a bond of love and friendship with those that everybody else hated, any decent person hated. That's the setup of the chapter. 
And in response to the grumbling and disgust of the Pharisees, Jesus explains, essentially explains, why he was sitting with these people and eating with them. And he, in so doing, he is revealing who he is and his mission. Okay. Told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So, here Jesus, I say again, explains to religious fundamentalists who he really is, why he is here, and actually announces the victory of his mission ahead of time. In most Bibles, they, the translators have done more than they have a right to. They've given their own headings to these things. And so, in all probability in your Bible, it, it's been put at the head of that, uh, the parable of the lost son, uh, lost uh, sheep. Um, that, of course, is not in, in the, the original Bible. That was put in there by whoever published the Bible you have. They've got no right to do that. In, in my opinion, this is not the story of the lost sheep. It is the story of the rejoicing shepherd. This is all about the shepherd. And we miss the point if we make it all about the sheep. And so with that in mind, I want to, shall I retell this story to you? Retell it from the mind of the peasant people who first heard it. And the people who first heard this story they were surrounded, there's no other word for it, surrounded by the bleating of sheep and the shepherds who came into town, the hillsides around the Galilee. They were filled with the flocks of sheep. And if you went beyond into the wilderness regions, beyond where the cities were, there you would find shepherds with their sheep. Everybody had some sort of investment in sheep and shepherds, whether it was in a sheep that a shepherd was looking after or whether some relative was a shepherd. They knew this. It was, it was part of the weave of their life there in the Galilee. And so Jesus was speaking of something. You notice he begins by, by saying, What man among you? I mean, everybody there could nod their heads at this story. They understood it very well. And sheep and shepherds in the Middle East at that time, and to this very day, for I have been to Israel and I've spoken with Israeli shepherds. I've been in the middle of their flocks. And what Jesus is talking about here is still part of life 
in the Middle East. And so I've got to retell the story just a little bit to introduce you into what Jesus is really saying here. Now, this idea of seeking after the sheep and finding the sheep and saving the sheep from the wilderness, that was a uh, sort of motto of the whole life of Jesus. You will remember more than one occasion he refers to a lost sheep in the Gospels and also on more than one occasion when he defines why he is here and what he's doing he said, out of, apart from this, he said, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so I say that this is pivotal to the gospel for us to understand who is God, what is God really like, who is Jesus, why did he come? And then arising from that big time is then who am I? And who am I in relation to Jesus and in relation to God? You see, I think it's pretty obvious, and I'm not going to push the point. We all, I, you, we find ourselves in this parable. You don't have to be a super spiritual person for that. I mean, it's pretty obvious, I believe. You and I, we are the sheep that was lost. Jesus is the shepherd. And that that's transparent. It's the most obvious story Jesus told. And as far back as the Old Testament, they'd sort of talked about this. Uh, sheep uh, feature very much in the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the New. And so in the Old Testament, you have in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. Okay. Right, so, so 700 years before Jesus came is the setup for this story, that we, like sheep, have gone astray. We, you and I, like sheep, have gone everyone to our own way. So, with that in mind, we shall also retell this story. Now, it begins by announcing that a shepherd has lost a sheep. Now, incidentally, and really just incidentally, but this word lost is in the New Testament more than you might think, because sometimes the translators, for whatever reason, have translated this word as perish. And I wish they'd left it at lost, lost, perish. Lost has a certain meaning that perish doesn't. And so when it says that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes on him should not perish. It's lost there. That's the word. It's a big word, this big word. The sheep, says Jesus in his story, the sheep was lost. Now, let me say immediately, if this sheep is lost then it was not a wild sheep. Now actually, and some might correct me on this, but I don't believe there's any such thing as a wild sheep. You know what I mean? Um, around the, these parts uh, of the country, we have what we call feral cats. And a feral cat is a wild cat. 
That is, it's never been around humans. It doesn't belong to anybody. It just fends for itself out in the wild. It's a wild cat. And um, they turn up on the ranch every so often. We've had quite a few here. And they come and they go. Uh, we never say they're lost. I mean, they, they're wild. You, you don't say a wild creature is lost. If, if the sheep was lost, I say again, it was not a wild sheep. That is, it was not just out there um, a wild creature. It had to have an owner. Please hear me, this is so important. The sheep was in the wilderness. It was gone from the flock. It was exposed to all the expressions of death that the wilderness held for a sheep. But the shepherd said the word lost, which says, even though it is presently separated from me and presently under the authority of the wilderness, which is under the authority of death, it is lost because it is mine. The mark of my ownership is on it, and therefore I call it mine. Oh, please hear this. You see, to, to lose something, you have to own it first. And it is now in a state of being lost because you still own it. And therefore you want it back, and you call it therefore lost. And this ownership to a shepherd in Bible times, and I say right up to the present time in the Middle East, that ownership is a lot more than a rancher might say he owns his cattle, or even owns his sheep here in the U.S. or in the West. Ownership in the Bible and in the near Middle East today includes a relationship. And that's very hard for us to understand. But the shepherd in the Bible, Old and New Testament, and you should always hold this in mind, a shepherd had a relationship to the sheep. The ownership that he had was embedded in a relationship. It's a hard thing for our Western minds to say or think, but the shepherd loved his sheep. And, and, and it showed up maybe very definitely in that the shepherd named all of the sheep. Every sheep had a pet name. And it was a name that was given and a name that was its name until it died. And I might have told you before, that when I was in Israel and I was uh, around Jerusalem and, and there were many flocks of sheep, uh, the shepherds had come together to visit and the shepherd, the sheep were, I mean, I, I don't know, hundreds of sheep it certainly would appear. And then one of the shepherds now leaves, he's off, he's going off to the wilderness and as he leaves, there's no herding of his sheep. It isn't that we're now going to find his sheep in this mass of ten or so flocks all joined together. As he walked away, he began calling out the names of his sheep. And the sheep heard their name and fought their way through all the flocks to follow their shepherd. 
it was an amazing sight a, a relationship I say ownership was a relationship and so therefore when a sheep went missing the shepherd said it is lost because it is my sheep that's the whole point it's my sheep hasn't changed anything the fact it's gone off into the wilderness doing its own thing hasn't changed anything it's still my sheep and so what emerges is that a sheep you cannot say the, the blueprint of a sheep what, what, a, what sheepness is that the way a sheep is designed is to be dependent upon a shepherd sheep shepherd they are inseparable the sheep cannot have life for very long without the shepherd and the shepherd of necessity has to love that sheep and give himself to it in order that the sheep might live their lives are intertwined there is not one without the other and I think it's not without significance that the very first story that we have in the Bible after mankind fell in the Garden of Eden is the story in Genesis 4 of a shepherd and his sheep Abel remember the story of Cain and Abel Abel was the shepherd and that's the first story in the Bible of a shepherd and his sheep I think that counts for something but it certainly tells me right from Genesis chapter 4 that sheep and shepherd go together so life I mean whatever a sheep might call real life was always in a dependency a life interwoven with the shepherd the identity of a sheep was never identity in isolation it was never a sheep who was set up by itself off there at the top of a mountain sheep identity if a sheep is capable of thinking of itself then identity who am I sheep is someone or something rather bound up with the shepherd that's why when the sheep went missing that rises inside of this shepherd these most unusual men and he says it's my sheep my sheep has been lost I, I say that because there are many persons who would think of, of the world out there of mankind outside of Christ and, and they are just I mean forget it there no do you realize they have the stamp of divine ownership on them that's why God reaches out to them in love they're his and specifically they are Christ's he is the shepherd but you see because we do belong to him the shepherd because the sheep does belong even if the sheep at this moment does not agree and even if the behavior and actions of the sheep are in direct contradiction to that doesn't make any difference <laughs> the shepherd says the sheep is mine so the word lost describes the shepherd's feelings 
for the sheep. When the shepherd says the sheep is lost, he's expressing that the core feelings that he has about this sheep. I mean, there's real feelings. Before the sheep was born, it was marked as the sheep uh, of the shepherd. Because these sheep, for the most part, uh, were not bought, bought, purchased at an auction. Shepherds didn't go and just buy sheep. These sheep had been born into the flock. And the shepherds were the one who, through the long night hours, were there with the mother sheep, and they were the ones assisting in the birth of these lambs. This shepherd was the one that at first held this sheep as a lamb in his arms. Oh yeah, we're talking very close here, very close. And it was then at the birth of the sheep that it was named by the shepherd. And, and so you could say that the sheep was then brought into the family of the shepherd. I'm not extreme here. This, this is how it's looked at. It's part of the shepherd's family. And now the shepherd declares his ownership and his ongoing relationship by naming that lamb, a name it will carry through its life. And the shepherd has taken, as he does that, he's taking on himself a, a commitment, a responsibility to feed this sheep. He, he will lead this sheep along with all the others through the wilderness. He knows the oasis. He knows where there's water to drink. He knows how to nurture this sheep when the sun is blazing down. He knows the shade. When it's cold, he'll be the one to build the fire and to put the sheep inside the shelter. Oh, yes. This shepherd is the life of the sheep, and the sheep are the life of the shepherd. And when the predators, the mountain lions, and the bears, and whatever else, they come to take the sheep, that shepherd will protect them with his bare hands. Remember that? David gave his testimony to King Saul back in uh, 1 Samuel, what is it, 16, somewhere around there, where... where he said when the lions came, he with his bare hands ripped open the mouth of the lion and rescued his sheep. That's a shepherd. That's a shepherd. Gives his life to protect from birth to death. The shepherd is, I say, the life of the sheep. When they go through trackless wilderness, it's the shepherd that goes ahead, leads the way, and the sheep follow. So it's no wonder he said, my sheep you understand? This is my sheep. Do you think I'm daft enough to let the sheep just go off by itself? This is my sheep. My life is bound up with this sheep. It's not going anywhere. In actual fact, the word agape, that word used to describe the love of God, is probably best illustrated by a shepherd in, in the scripture. And so the shepherd placed a worth, a value on a sheep. 
He was the one who assigned its worth. And I don't mean just a dollar value. Okay, let me cut to the chase. What was the worth that this shepherd placed upon this sheep? The worth, what he said this sheep is worth, it's worth his own life. Do you hear me? He was willing, ready, no, well, not only willing, he did risk his own life to go into the wilderness, which was a place of danger, extreme danger, and death, death by many things. He himself could be killed by the predators, the precipices and the canyons. He himself could have gone over. There were no real paths, treacherous paths, if there were any. He's going to risk his life in exchange for the life of the sheep. That's the worth that he bestowed upon this sheep. Hear that? Because one has to give some personality to this sheep to understand what Jesus is saying. And so I have to say, the worth of that sheep has nothing to do with how the sheep feels about itself. I know that's silly to talk like that about sheep, but it's implicit in the story. The worth of the sheep was something bestowed by the shepherd who declared the sheep's value by saying, I'll give my life to save that sheep. I'll go where it is in the wilderness. And, and, and so the worth of the sheep had nothing to do with its behavior. Well, now something's beginning to build here. So it was his sheep, even when it wandered off into death and darkness and danger, still his sheep marked with his love. And the worth of that sheep did not change one iota. In fact, the behavior of the sheep going off into the desert, in actual fact, only highlighted its value. That's when its value came to the fore. And the shepherd now demonstrates the kind of value he puts upon the sheep. So it's got nothing to do with the sheep's behavior. The value came from how the shepherd viewed that sheep. And it didn't matter what others felt about the sheep. In fact, this was one of the marks of a true shepherd. Because there were, I mean, there were shepherds that would become a shepherd just because they needed a job. And they soon were exposed as phony, false shepherds. Because in a case like this, when a sheep goes off and it's gone, the phony, the false shepherd will say, stupid sheep, it's gone, it's gone, forget it. In fact, that's when another way of using the word would crop up. Um, they, they would say, it's lost, forget it. That's a different usage of the word. Um, it was actually the way the Pharisee, fundamentalist religion that extends into this present day here in the U.S., that's how they describe 
And they use the same word as Pharisees, sinners. You have to have that sneer on your face when you say it. And the spoke of the people that they're lost. And the very tone of the voice and the context of the conversation means lost. It means terminus. I mean, it's terminal. It's that's it. Finished. They're lost. There's a finality. That here, Pharisee. They didn't listen. They didn't obey. They didn't believe. They did their own thing. They're gone. They're dead. They're doomed. They're damned. They're lost. That's a phony shepherd, according to Scripture, because the word "lost" on the lips of a true shepherd was not terminus it was not describing the end it rather lost the sheep is lost that means the starting point of the shepherd searching with his own life to find the sheep do you see the difference religion says they're lost which means they're damned and dead Jesus said lost, meaning this then demands the urgency of my seeking and saving that sheep. Oh yeah, there's value here, big time value. And now this, now we know what a real shepherd is. He looks out into that trackless wild wilderness with all its oppression of enmity towards sheep. And somewhere out there is my sheep. And in his heart it rises as the very driving force of his life and says, you are mine and I will come and I will get you. Yeah, lost, lost, lost. My valued, precious sheep is absent lost but it also brought out and I can only say this in these words it, it brought out the honor of the shepherd he was a shepherd he had made a commitment to this sheep when it was but a lamb bleating in his arms and receiving its natal name his honor I'm a shepherd, and if I die in doing this, then I die with honor. That's exactly how the shepherd thought and thinks in the near Middle East. This was his glory, the glory of a shepherd. Can you feel it? I'm a shepherd, and a shepherd is one who gets his sheep at any cost. That's his glory, to return home with the lost sheep. That's his glory, his honor. See, a shepherd, you could say he has a reputation, which is another word really attached to the word glory. He's known for this. And if a person has a sheep that they want someone to look after, the one who has the reputation, the one who has a name, shepherd, and everything that is within that word shepherd is mirrored in this man. I'll give my sheep to him. Oh yes, my honor is at stake. My very name is inseparably bound up 
with this sheep's welfare, this sheep's life, its protection. And the life of the sheep, that's my honor, that's my glory, that's my reputation. My commitment to this sheep demands faithfulness to this sheep. And I'll follow it to death. And so the shepherd, under the constraint that I've spoken of so far, the constraint, all in that word lost, he sets out, and you would have to say, sets out into the wilderness in love. I hope you understand that by now. I mean, I, I could never say of any shepherd today, really, that they love the sheep. They look after them irresponsible but love that relationship I hope you understand now when I said the shepherds Jesus talked about set out into the wilderness in love they uh, they never I have to say this again they never would think of that sheep out there as not his that that would be impossible so he would never say I'm going to find a sheep no because it wasn't a sheep, it was my sheep. And so he sets out with that kind of love. And as he would get out into the wilderness, he would begin to call out in the certain tone that he always used, the name of that sheep. He is coming for my sheep. And not just my sheep, but by name. The one that I've known before it was born my sheep I think that that's part of what Jesus is saying here when he says there was one sheep that was lost he's trying to say we're not going after the whole flock it's one sheep one precious sheep one valued sheep one sheep by name I come for that one sheep each as if they were the only one ever created is the total love and concern of all that this shepherd stands for. But he also sets out, and I hope you can understand this, but he sets out with faith in his purpose. He, he doesn't go with a half-hearted attitude to see if I can find it sort of thing. No, he is going to find his sheep. He sets out with that intention and he has faith in his purpose. He has faith in his will. This is very important. You could say that he has faith in his own reputation. He knows his ability. He knows his strength. He knows his wisdom of the wilderness. He, th he can think like a sheep. And he is going and he has faith in his purpose that he shall find, he shall save, and he shall restore this sheep. So it's with love and faith that he goes. You could also say he went out in his faithfulness to the sheep 
Jesus, when he spoke of this in that other sentence I, I spoke of earlier, which he peppered around through his ministry, he said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. You can say that just like a religious fundamentalist, I mean, with no emotion. But hear it. Jesus says, I am come. I've arrived. Why are you here? I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. There was not a doubt in his mind. He had come on a mission and he knew that he would accomplish it. He is speaking his word of faith. Just put that on hold. The sheep, of course, the word lost had many other dimensions. If you were the sheep, by this time you're terrified. You are in literally a trackless wilderness, but it's a treacherous wilderness. It, it's filled with, with canyons, a, a vast precipice that just drops off. And, and, and on the side there, it's all loose stones, so you tread on it and you go. And, and there's no food, and there's no water for a sheep. That means death. But also in the daytime, in areas there in southern Israel, the temperatures could soar up into the 120s, and, but then go down at night into freezing, and both will kill the sheep. And of course, the predators that we've spoken of, they're there, and the sheep can smell them, and the sheer terror. The sheep now lives in a constant anxiety. Written over the wilderness for a sheep is death, actually, for humans too, unless you know what you're doing. He's separated, alone, and all these enemies of starvation and thirsting and canyons and precipices and predators, this is their world. You came into this world of wilderness and you're under the authority of all these expressions of death. The shepherd goes into that wilderness. He joins the sheep where the sheep is. He does not stand on the edge of the wilderness and say, sheep, sheep, sheep. He goes and Jesus puts the words here in the story, they're potent words, until he finds it. He's not coming home without that sheep until he finds it. He puts his foot onto the same treacherous rock as that sheep has trod. He feels the stones moving under his feet the same as the sheep had. He looks over those terrifying abyss to see if he can see the sheep down there. He goes where the sheep has gone. He treads the same pathway. He faces the same danger for the predators of the sheep are the same predators that would go for him if they wanted to. He steps into the pathway, if you call it that, of the sheep's foolish rebellion. But of course, at no time was the shepherd lost because he knew the wilderness. He always knew how to get home. 
he came here into the sheep's lostness without himself being lost until he finds it and around those canyons and up the side of the precipice you hear the call of the shepherd echoing bouncing across the rocks calling that sheep by name and the sheep would have heard the shepherd and again I have to try <clears throat> and think like a sheep hearing that name could I say hearing his family name he hears not only the name but he hears that unique tone of the shepherd's voice he hears the person who is life sheep life calling by name and it resonates inside the sheep there's an awakening in the sheep to know that I don't find my identity in this wilderness the stupidity that brought it to the wilderness one could suggest he thought he would find an alternate identity in the wilderness but to hear that name spoken by that one person and to hear his own very life identity calling to him resonates he hears the shepherd and something inside says that's me and that's the sound of my true life I know I'm putting human thought into sheep brain but you try and do better um, the shepherd until he finds it I, I, you know have you, have you lived it you go across those rocks and there there's the object of your love there is that half dead sheep that's just bleating out its last gasps and you put your hands on you found your sheep feel it now every person listening to this would be aware of what I'm about to say do not freak out what the shepherd did was an act of love but when he got a hold of it when he found the sheep many times if not most times the shepherd would then break the leg of the sheep deliberately break the leg of the sheep and immediately mend it and put it in a cast why does he do that well first of all he's got to get this sheep back and to break its leg is in fact to break its strength it was these legs that brought the foolish sheep where it is and so he breaks its strength because he is going to exchange the sheep's strength for his strength he's going to take that sheep in all its strength and put it around his neck like a scarf and so he breaks the strength of the sheep but it's a love break because it's that strength that brought the sheep here and we've got to stop that and so shall I say the sheep died 
to its foolish independence in the hands of the love of the shepherd and he broke its leg but that also means there's going to be a time of recuperation and healing and mending and where's that going to take place around the shepherd's neck while that leg heals the sheep is around his neck and what does that mean it means the head of the sheep is right here where the shepherd will speak the most tender, gentle words that will soothe its anxiety and fears and assure it of its union with him and his faithfulness to keep it. And he has a special pocket in a shepherd's coat where he keeps sheep, what can you say? Sheep candies, I suppose. Uh, sheep snacks that they loved and he would be feeding it. And this would go on for days, maybe weeks, as the sheep mends what's happening. He is bonding. He's becoming one with the shepherd. He's not going to run away again because in that he has become one with the shepherd. And so the finding of the sheep involved a death to the sheep's independence and the introduction to a union with the shepherd that it had not known before. Around his neck. Wow. I mean, can you imagine it? The, these shepherds were pretty strong chaps. You put the sheep around the neck. The weight of the sheep has now become absorbed in the strength of the shepherd. But I say it's a place of great intimacy, bonding. You could say, if you're going to push it, that they now have, no, it's not pushing it. They had a shared history because that sheep isn't going anywhere that the shepherd doesn't go. And wherever the shepherd goes, the sheep goes. That sounds very much like Jesus saying, I in you and you in me, doesn't it? You see, and this is just foolishness, but I, I want to emphasize something with my foolishness. He didn't give the sheep a map and say, well, you got yourself lost, but here's the map. Now you can find your way home. Now that's religion. Religion hands out maps every Sunday and condemns you for not having read them properly last week. He doesn't give a list of rules and directions and don't go there and don't go there and try and find this and try, no, no. And I'll go even further and say, the shepherd didn't even say, follow me. Because there's something about this sheep that got itself lost and in this wilderness, I could turn around and it slipped and gone. No. The, the essence of this story is that when he founded, they became as one. Hear me. There are two here. There's a sheep and there's a shepherd. But when he founded and put it around his neck, functionally they became one. And for the sheep to get out of the wilderness was the shepherd. The shepherd was the way. 
The shepherd was the path. He didn't point to the path. He didn't example how to jump from one rock to another. He was the path. He was the leap. For the sheep to live was the shepherd. Or as the Bible says, we are by God's grace, by his sheer gift, together with Christ. So Jesus said, as I've already said, I in you, you in me. And then whenever the New Testament speaks of the death of Jesus, it says we died together with him. And when he rose, we rose together with him. And when he ascended, it says we're together with him in the heavenly places. Paul said it's impossible for me to describe myself outside of Jesus Christ. He said, for me to live is Christ. Or again, I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me. There's two, but there's one. There's one, but two. Christ our life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what Jesus describes here is not a shepherd who does something for the sheep, but rather the doing was that he joined himself to the sheep and they came out of the wilderness with a shared history. He was the way out where there was no way. He was the safety, the protection from all the dangers of the wilderness. He didn't give the sheep something to fend off the wild he was, he was the protection. He was the provision. He was the way. He was the life of the sheep. And as far as the sheep, which of course I say is not the prime of this story, and in order to say anything about the sheep, we have to sort of impose humanity into a sheep mind. But with that in mind, let me do it, that the sheep surrendered to truth. Jesus actually says in the last verse that what had happened here, he jumps from sheep to what I'm doing and places human action into this. He says, same with the joy in heaven over a sinner who repents. And this word repent, I know I keep saying this, I've been saying it for many, many, many decades. And if you've been around, you've heard me say it. Repentance. I'll be, I hate that word repentance. Because it doesn't mean a thing to do with what that word means in English. That word in English was invented by religion at religion's lowest, most wretched point of performance and earning their way. The word repentance, let's just call it metanoia, which is the Greek word. And it means to radically rethink. It means to begin 
thinking the thoughts of God. So I, if I can put myself into the sheep, why I'm in the wilderness, I, I thought I could find my own identity here. I thought life was in my sheep self. Now, to yield to the shepherd was to think the thoughts of the shepherd. When the shepherd thought, you are my sheep, then the sheep totally rethinks. I've thought totally wrong. I've thought darkness. I've thought lies and illusion. So now I think the thoughts of the shepherd. He says, you are mine, and I respond, I am yours. The shepherd says, I am your life. That's why you're mine. And I say, you are my life. I was dead in the wilderness, and now, joined to you, I'm resurrected to my true identity in life. Repentance. I I think thoughts now concerning Jesus which are the thoughts of the Father concerning Jesus and I think the thoughts of Jesus concerning me the Father says you are my son and I send you to find my sheep and Jesus said I come to find the sheep and he says to me I am your life I am your way And repentance and faith means that I change my mind to think the thoughts of God and to believe what God believes. That Jesus is the way and that I, the Father thinks, the Father believes that I am in Christ and I in Christ am taken out of my death, my meaninglessness, my purposelessness into life. For he is my life. I I hope that makes some sense to you. See, people think of faith as something that's inside of me. Do I have enough? Do I have enough? I've got to straighten my back. Go ahead. And so they become absorbed in themselves. Faith is the eye that sees the Father's delight to his Jesus and says, I believe he is what the Father says he is. Faith sees that I have been placed in Christ and Jesus has said, I am your life. And they say, The Father says it, I believe. I trust what the Father believes. I trust what Jesus believes. The life I now live, said Paul, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's my rest. I'm not even aware of myself. It's Him. Don't keep looking at myself. It's Him. When I waver, He never does. My faith is as strong as He is. Do you, do you understand that? I, I hope we should spend a whole hour on that maybe. But see, he, they, they come out of the wilderness and as they come out of the wilderness, the shepherd shouts. In fact, you've got to get this. He said, rejoice with me. And I think you know if you've been around for a few weeks or months, the word rejoice, it's a party word. 
It means to leap in the air, spin around. It's a word which means dancing at a party. It means wild celebration, but with content. I don't mean just a party so I forget what life is about. I mean a party of celebration. And, and in the Old Testament, this wild party word was used concerning rejoicing in God. Huh. Singing, shouting, whirling, dancing. Rejoice with me. As much as he could do with a sheep on his shoulder, he was hopping and jigging and dancing as he came and he said, rejoice with me, join in my joy. For I have found my sheep. It's done. It's done. It's finished. I've heard that cry before. I owned this sheep. I was the creator of this sheep. I named this sheep. Mine by creation, but mine by the giving of my life. My entrance into its death and my bringing it home in resurrection. My time is gone, but hear me on this. It's you as well as I that I'm talking about. He knew you before you were born. He held you when you were born. He marked you as his own, not only as your creator, but the one who came for you and laid hold upon you in his death and carried you to life in his resurrection. He says, you're mine. And it's the Holy Spirit who is his voice calling your name. And that good news that he found you resonates within you. And he calls you, rejoice with me. And when we hear that voice and respond, and we think the thoughts of God concerning Jesus and ourselves, ourselves in him, and when we abandon ourselves to his saying, I did it, I got you, you're mine, double mine. What can I say? My rejoicing with him is saying, Amen. So be it. That's what you say is the way it is. Be it unto me according to your word. And the Holy Spirit makes that living connection. I hope this has at least been an eye-opening reading of that simple story of the sheep that was lost but above it I trust you see yourself in every word and now the blessing of God who is the eternal shepherd the shepherd of his sheep and the lover of our soul that shepherd of love bless you open the eyes of your understanding and flood you with light May that be in your life this day, this week, and to the ages of ages. So I bless you, and so it is.